qualities in the New Testament. So you see, they physically circumcised people in the Old Testament. It was a circumcision of the heart in the New Testament. Some of you uh, little kids, you may be thinking, uh, what's circumcision? Ask your father on that one. Okay. They had physical manna in the desert that fed them. And then Jesus said, I was actually the bread that comes down from heaven. Eat my flesh. You see a spiritual reality there. Uh, physically, they were actually killing enemies, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Cellulites, the Termites, all those people. They would physically destroy the enemies of God, and now they are spiritual enemies, and we're to love the people, right? We see, we see a, a sh- How many of you guys have noticed a shift in that one, hopefully? Like, we're not? Okay. Yeah. All of your angry picketing, um, if you can hug them, they're not your enemy. Wrestle not against flesh and blood. All right. Hey, hey, this. There was, there was physical pieces of furniture in the tabernacle uh, that represented spiritual realities. The jar of manna was mentioned today. So one of the things that God uh, did is he actually had them physically rest for an entire day. And it represent a, a lifestyle, a realm that they were to enter into spiritually. In which, I mean, it's interesting. One of the words is about God fighting their battles, coming boldly before the throne of grace so that God could do these things. There's actually a lifestyle where we can come into this realm of rest. When you think of rest, don't think of... Uh, like, I'm passive and I don't do anything. So, uh, it actually talks about laboring to enter into this rest. Doesn't that sound interesting? Striving is one of the translations. Strive to get into rest. And so uh, it sounds like if you try to do that, you're going to hurt yourself, doesn't it? If you're trying to rest and strive at the same time, but we'll see how it all comes together today. So it's interesting. So the very first thing that God does in his relationship with man is he introduces rest. I want you to think about this. God creates the heavens, the earth, the birds, the the fish, everything. And on the sixth day, he creates man. And what's he do the very next day? He rests. Man wakes up into a world where God did everything for him. His job was just to partner with God and enjoy it and rest. I mean, look at uh, Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God will always bless your rest. (laughs) I don't know who's doing that, but I already like it. Okay. It says that God made the Sabbath day holy. When it says it made it holy, it means he set it apart for a special purpose. Whenever... um, God sets apart rest so that you're always able to receive blessing in that situation. You're going to see you can rest in any situation, whether you're working, whether you're active, whether you're in prison, whether you're, I was going to say in the nursery, but those two sounds too close together. No, they were not meant to come together. When I'm talking about rest, I'm not talking about taking a nap or taking a vacation. I'm talking about a realm of confidence and peace in which I am so sure that God is acting in my life and I can't make things happen. I'm trusting him to happen. You're going to see here, this isn't passive here. We'll see in just a second. It's the realm that Jesus lived in that enabled him to sleep through a storm. And he entered into that realm so deeply that when he spoke words, that storm bowed to the realm that he was already in, called rest. Whatever circumstance you face, God has set aside or made holy a place of rest for you. I don't care how hard your situation, how impossible your situation, how unjust um, maybe you've read the story of Richard Wormbrand. He was a, a man who was in a, a, a Siberian prison for years and tortured for, I think it was like 27 years, uh, tortured for Christ. He wrote the book, Torture for Christ. And, and he entered into such a realm of rest, it was amazing. They, uh, they, I mean, they, they would put him before a firing squad. They would pull the trigger, and the guns wouldn't go off. 
They would point their guns in the air. They would shoot. The bullets would come out. They would point it again, and the bullets wouldn't, st wouldn't go. The, the, the head of the guard was so angry, he took out his revolver, put it in his mouth, pulled the trigger, nothing came out. Pointed the gun in the air, shot it, the bullets came out. Pointed it in his mouth, shot it again. They were getting ready to throw him in the darkest hole of the prison, and he falls on the ground, and he sees a six-inch nail, and he grabs it and doesn't know why. He gets it, they put him in the darkest part of the prison, where, where the solitary confinement, where nobody could do it, and he begins to, um, in Morse code, tap out the gospel to the different prisoners in there. I mean, they didn't have, like, TV to watch. They didn't have anything to do. So people who understood it began hearing the message and began preaching it to the other, uh, other prisoners. And this one man completely changed. Guards are getting changed. Thousands of people. His attitude was, if I'm in here, I can be in this place of rest. God must, he said, God has a plan to use the most radical guy in the world to preach the gospel to these prisoners. What was, that, what was happening? He was asleep in a storm. He was able to rest in a storm, not because he was doing some superstitious voodoo mind tricks or anything like that. He had actually entered into a realm where even when they were torturing him, he said the angels would come and minister to him, and he said he was almost sorry when they stopped torturing him because the grace he was receiving was so sweet. God says, I've set apart and made this thing holy, this thing called rest. It was a physical day in the Old Testament, but now there's a reality that you can enter into into the New Testament. Here's how he uh, puts it in the book of Hebrews. Now, God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting and confident faith. That's the Passion Translation. There's a realm of resting and confident faith. When you're in rest, you stop trying to do something. You stop trying to control it. You stop trying to birth an Ishmael. You stop trying to make things happen in your own strength. Again, I'm not talking about being passive. We're going to see that in just a second. But when you rest, you're not in your own strength any longer. You stop trying to get something by your own efforts. But you're waiting, you're watching, you're listening for that still small voice because when you hear that, that's when you act. You don't act, 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 and hopefully he's going to tell you something. And God has promised us rest. Uh, verse, uh, keep going in chapter 4, Hebrews. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. Why is he warning you? Because we can be careless and just go about life and fail to experience this realm called rest. Verse 2. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did. Who's the they? Well, in chapter 3, he talked about Israel, how they were delivered out of uh, bondage and slavery, and uh, they're walking through the wilderness, but they never made it to this land called rest, this promised land, this uh, Sabbath rest that God had for them because they didn't believe. We're going to see that here in just a second. And so, um, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. The only reason we don't come into rest is because we don't value it. We don't actually see this is a realm that's available. We're going to see it in a second. You have to strive to enter into this thing. You've got to labor into this thing. You've got to do whatever it takes to make sure that the waters of your soul stay peaceful. Whatever you've got to do to, to fix your mind on those things. Israel has said it didn't affect them deeply. When we don't see the importance of this, we're never going to let it, we're never going to enter into this realm because there's too many distractions. What I'm talking about is rest can actually become a weapon. It can become a sword in your hand because there's going to be intruders in your life that are going to try to take you out of rest. Worry, fear, anxiety, just all these things. And those things don't leave on their own. How many of you guys realize anxiety will ride you like a pony? It will eat your lunch and pop the bag. It will, I, I can't even think of any other illustrations right now, but it will do bad things to you. And you've got to use rest like a weapon, like a sword, to come out and chase those things out of your life. 
where you can enter into this realm that God has paid for you so that you can stay in that realm. Verse uh, 3, for those of us who believe, faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confidence rest. How does, it, how does it come? It comes through faith, and we miss it through doubt or through doing nothing. We're going to see in just a second. For he has said, and now he's going to begin quoting some Old Testament um, verses, the, the writer of Hebrews. For he has said, I was grieved with them and made a solemn oath. They will never enter into the calming rest of my spirit. Speaking of unbelieving Israel. God's works have been all completed from the foundation of the world. For it says in Scripture, and on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, as stated before, they will never enter into the calming place of rest. Again, he's setting up this thing. In the natural, they had it, but he's got something in the spiritual for us. Those who first heard the good news of deliverance failed to enter into the realm of faith's rest. I love that phrase, the realm of faith's rest, because of their unbelieving hearts. Yet, the fact remains that we still have the opportunity to enter into the faith rest life. Are you saying this isn't like a, just a day off it's talking about? It's talking about a realm. It's talking about a lifestyle where we can have trust and where God fights our battles for us. Verse 7, for God still has ordained a day for us to enter into called today. When can you enter into rest? It's not going to help you tomorrow. It's going to help you today. For it was long afterwards that God repeated it in David's words. If only you would listen to his voice and do not harden your hearts. The key to learning to rest is always listening to his voice. That's why I said it's not a passive thing where oh, I'm, just, I'm just doing nothing and yeah, God's, oh, God's got this. God's got this. I think we can throw out these phrases that are empty of power if we haven't entered into that realm called rest. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. And we say these things, but we haven't entered into the realm of it where it actually carries power. So when we say peace, the storm actually stills. If only today you would listen to his voice and do not harden your hearts. In other words, I'm listening. Okay, I was, a, um, I was pre-med, and so I took a lot of biology and all, all that kind of stuff. And I was, I was thinking of this today. I, I have not thought of this in decades. And so semi-permeable membranes. You guys remember? All right, I, see, I, I got a witness in the back there. Thank you, Ty. I appreciate that. Semi-permeable membranes. So what a membrane does, it, it's, it, it's something that circles a cell, and it acts like a sentry. It acts like a guard, a gatekeeper for what, when it's semi-permeable, it means that some things are allowed into the cell, and some things ain't allowed into the cell, okay? That's what this realm of rest is for your soul. It says there's some things that are allowed in here, but there's some things that ain't getting past the door, okay? That's what I'm talking about when I'm listening to his voice. I'm listening for those things, they get to come on in and affect my soul. This other garbage, it gets to camp out. It does not get access to me. You give yourself to rest by denying the negative. You guys, uh, Martin Luther, the uh, reformer from the 1500s, he said this. He said, you can't, um, you can't stop a bird from flying around your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. Okay? You, you may not be able to stop the enemy from planting a little thought, but you can stop it from building a fortress, a stronghold, a pattern of thinking in your mind to where it becomes normal. Remember, a stronghold is anything that's normal for you that's not normal in the kingdom. Well, it's just normal to worry about my kids. It's just normal to worry about the future. It's just normal. Uh, not in the kingdom of God. You need to, you need to talk to, this, to that permeable membrane and say, this thing is not allowed in here. I'm only listening to his voice. 
Rest makes sure that you're focusing on one thing. You know what that one thing is? Whatever he's saying to you in that moment. I want to get this, I want to get this practical here because the fruit of the Spirit are arrows in your quiver in this battle. There's going to be times when you need joy. And so the fruit of the Spirit is the character of God that when you enter into this realm and you begin to take hold of it, it becomes your character so that you are loving, joyful, peaceful, and kind without trying because it's become who you are through experience. How does God train you in joy? By putting you in opposite circumstances from joy. You don't learn joy when the Buckeyes are winning. Oh, this is awesome. Okay. It's, it's when things aren't joyful. It's when things are going the exact opposite way from they're supposed to that you learn joy. And these are the circumstances where to enter into that realm of rest, we've got to listen to his voice. Um, Mary had a dream a, a while ago, and it went something like this. God said, there's a, there's a hailstorm coming. And it was a plan words. There's a hailstorm coming. And Mary said, well, what do I do? And he said, put up, my, put up your umbrella and hide yourself in me. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. There's things that are coming. There's things that are trying to penetrate the semi-permeable membrane. And you, and, you, and you put up the umbrella and you say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying in this situation? Who do you want to be for me? Here's how David did it in the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd, light, deliverer, strong fortress. Whoever he needed him to be, that's who God was to him in that situation. So what I'm talking about in this realm of rest, I'm talking about in the busyness of the work, the insults, the, you know, the drivers who are giving you the one-finger salute, there's all these type of things. You do not have to wreck. Those things do not get to come in and disturb the garden of your soul. They don't get to come in and plant weeds in your soul. You've got a choice to enter into that realm. You can literally, once you enter into it, your circumstances bow to you. You literally can become the light in the darkness, the salt that flavors the entire meal, the leaven that works its way through the whole batch of dough. The Lord is my Holy Spirit. Who do you want to be for me right now? I'd like to be your joy. Okay, I receive that. If you're waiting for... You cannot think your way to joy. You surrender your way to joy. As you surrender in your heart and you allow God to be that, it bubbles up and it may inform your mind that you're joyful. But you can't think your way to joy. You can just focus your heart and he has to impart that thing to you. And you enter, this is part of your inheritance. Uh, it's interesting. He said, um, I think it's in Leviticus. Boy, I, I read so many verses on rest, I can't remember where they are. So I'm, it's somewhere in the Old Testament, I declare to you, that um, he said, uh, you will enter into rest, and it will be your inheritance. In Exodus 33, I think it's verse 14, where um, he tells Moses, he says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. His presence is your inheritance. Your inheritance is rest. This whole thing, it all, it all just ties together. If you're waiting to feel his presence to enter into rest, you could be waiting a very long time depending on your season. So many Christians, they mistake hunger for unbelief. Oh God, I want to feel your presence. I want to feel your touch. He said he'd never leave you or forsake you. Get out of unbelief. We all want an upgrade. We all want to have, the, have it top us off with a feeling, a goosebump. I mean, like every relationship involves touch. I'm not talking about this stoic, cold thing where I don't need feelings. I am, you know, I'm not talking about being an android for Jesus, okay? What I'm talking about is you becoming dependent on your feelings, and when you don't feel those feelings, you don't believe his word that he says Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You can't get any more than that on the inside. 
He can give you some on the outside, and we rejoice in those times. We just don't depend on those times. Am I talking to any charismatics in here? Are we okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. We love those feelings, but if the only time I felt married was when I felt my wife's touch, that'd be a really weird relationship. If she left the room, I don't feel her anymore. Where is she gone? Has she left me? Man, you're dysfunctional. Welcome to American charismatic Christianity. I don't feel his touch. Maybe he's left me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's an old covenant prayer. Quit praying it. Don't even sing that song anymore. Psalm 51. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's not a New Testament prayer. It's an old covenant prayer. How are we doing? Okay, this is too small. Verse, I can't tell if it's a five or an eight. Okay, now, <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Oh, you know what? I just wanted to uh, welcome one of my oldest friends here, uh, Josh Paletta. He's, we've been friends for over three decades. Can you believe that? We don't look that old, do we? We do not look that old. Our friends, our parents go back even longer than our parents have probably been friends 60, 70 years. And so, um, yeah, so just so good to have Josh here. He knows all my high school stories, and I know all his. So you will not be talking to either one of us at the picnic about each other. Okay. Verse 8 or 3 or 5, whatever it is, um, <laughs> there's some curves in the number. Now, if this promise of rest was fulfilled when Joshua brought the people into the land, God wouldn't have spoken later of another rest yet to come. In other words, guys, it wasn't just this physical thing. There was something more to come. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into the God-faith rest life, Man, I like that. Thank you, Brian Simmons. Yeah, he's the one who wrote the Passion Translation. The God-faith rest life, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. I want you to remember that phrase, God celebrates his works. We're going to get to this. this is, but I hope you brought your preaching shoes or your shouting shoes. This is going to be good here in a second. Verse 11, okay. It's an 11. I can see that now. So then we must give, give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life. Notice there's not passivity to it. There, be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. It's interesting, the doubt and unbelief that the Israelites were doing is they just didn't try very hard for it. They, they just, you know, I guess if we're, you know, we're going to go to the promise, I'm going to go to the promise, I don't know, let's see what's going to happen. And they didn't actually believe the promises and because they did not believe them, they didn't receive them. Listen, just because you declare a verse out of your mouth or you heard a preacher say it or just because it's in the word does not mean it will be in your life. There is a striving to enter into that rest. You're like, hold on, Jim, are you talking about works? No, 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 I'm not talking about works. Grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. Jesus is like, I finished the work you gave me to do. Paul's like, I work with all my might, struggling with all his energy. There's a perfect balance in there. Jesus is in the rest, and we're learning to relax into him. I'm putting my confidence, I'm putting my full weight in him. When he said, it is finished, he didn't say, I'm finished, I'm done with these people, I've had enough. Beam me up, Scotty. He didn't say that. He said, it is finished. Everything that needs to be done for them to live a life of victory, godliness, destiny, devil butt kicking, all that stuff. 
It has been finished on the cross. And so you know what he did? He sat down, and then in Ephesians 2, he says, come on up here, sit next to me. You have been seated with him. The Passion Translation says in Ephesians 2, 6, you have been co-seated with him in heavenly places. The Passion Translation says in the heavenly realm. There's a realm in which, I, I believe it's the mirror image of what it's talking about, of this Sabbath resting, where Jesus is like, I'm done. See, when you're sitting down, you're not working. Well, I know some of you are at a desk, but like, okay, easy chair. Okay, not in your laptops, not in your phones, okay? When you're sitting down, you're not working. Jesus is not trying to accomplish something against the devil. He's not actually trying to accomplish something in your destiny. He paid for it, and when you sit next to him, and from that position you begin to do life, those things that he paid for begin to come into your life. Now, let me tell you how religion would try to have you get these things, okay? So remember Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons. The younger generation, they don't know these songs with the hand motions like we did. How many of you guys know hand motions with songs are more anointed? Thank you. <laughs> Only the children's ministry people, they're used to doing all that stuff. They're the ones raising their hands. Okay. Um, what I love about the Bible is it records the stories of people, how it actually happened. It doesn't whitewash them and try to make them look like super saints. And so you got this guy named Abram. His name would later get changed to Abraham. He's married to Sarai. Her name would later get changed to Sarah. So Abraham is 75. His wife, Sarai, is 65. And God comes to him and reveals to himself as the God of glory. From that day on, Abraham begins walking in union with God. Before he was in the city of Ur, they worshiped the moon and some different things, just a bunch of weird stuff. God says, I'm the God of glory. We find that out in Acts 7-3, and Abraham begins walking in union with God. God makes promises to Abraham. I want you to notice, Abraham didn't do anything to earn these promises. God wasn't like, Abraham, you're the most amazing person on the face of the earth. You've been seeking me with all your heart. No, he was worshiping the moon God. I want you guys to see this. When God's promises come to you, they're not coming to you because you're so amazing and you've behaved. They're coming to you because he's amazing. Jesus behaved. Okay? Because what's going to happen is we think that once the promise comes to us, we've got to do something to earn it. No, 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 no. That's what religion would try to get you to do, and that's how you step out of rest. Thank you, sweetheart. I'm so glad you're here this morning. The rest of the staff's at Pickerington or at the picnic. All right. So God begins making promises. He made a promise of land. Hey, as you leave this land, Abraham's like, this is awesome. I'm leaving the land. Where are we going? To the land I'm about to show you. Oh, it's easy to read, but I mean, just imagine. Hey, pack up everything. Sell your stuff. Where are we going, God? I'll tell you. When you get there. It's like, all right. God, I quit my job. I'm leaving my country. I'm packing in my baggins. Yeah, baggins. Uh. He gave him the promise of seed. Abraham, uh, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and the stars of the heavens. There was a promise of the descendant. There will be a descendant through whom all nations would be blessed. Jesus would actually come out of the, of the loins of Abraham. I want you to notice, Abraham had nothing to do with the terms of God's promise. It was God's initiative that, that he gave them to Abraham, and it was God's character that guaranteed their fulfillment. I want you to notice, every promise that comes to you was because God initiated it, and it's up to him to fulfill those promises. It's not up to you to fulfill the promises over your life. I'm going to say it over here because I don't think you believe me. When God gives you a promise, it's not up to you to figure out how to make it come to pass. It's up to you to enter into that realm of rest. Now he can act in your behalf and make it come to pass. If you begin to get on the hamster wheel and try to make it come to pass, you've stepped out of the realm of rest and he can't act in your life. 
So Abraham, uh, he had no problem uh, believing for the promised land. It says Abraham loaded up the camels and they moved up the Euphrates River, that is. No, don't encourage that. that. That's just bad. That's just bad. Some of you are too young to remember the Beverly Hillbillies, but that was actually, it meant a lot to me at about five this morning. Okay. It was the second promise that Abraham had a big problem with. It's like, um, I, I don't know about you guys, you haven't seen too many 65-year-olds having baby showers. <laughs> Have you guys noticed that? Okay. So Abraham, he decided to help God out with the promise, this impossibility. So he makes plans to adopt Lot and Eleazar, and those things didn't work. And then, um, then God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 15, verses 4 and 6, and he assures him, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Um, speaking of Eleazar, your very own son shall be your heir. It's like, this is awesome. And God brought him outside. Look towards the heaven at the number of the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted them as righteousness. What could go wrong? This is just an awesome plan. So what happens is the years begin to pass, and now Abram is 86, and Sarai is 76. Man. How many of you guys realize sometimes when you get the promise, there's a process to become the person who can carry out the promise? Well, God gave me this promise. I think it's supposed to happen this week. It's been a week. I don't know what's happening. I'm going to change my name to Job. So Sarai, she's waiting for the promise that was way too absurd for her to be fulfilled. And she's like, okay, that, I, think, I think I've got this thing figured out. The only way this can happen through Abraham is if he has a baby with another woman. So he takes on this strange custom of the day. It was never condoned by God. And Abraham uh, impregnates the, the handmaiden Hagar. They begin to have the baby. She produces a child. Abraham, at this point, he's, uh, he, he, you know, he's struggling with this thing. Like, man, how's this going to happen? He gives in to Sarai's suggestion, and he has the baby with... Uh, with um, Sarah, or with, uh, with Hagar, the handmaiden. And they have a baby named Ishmael. Abraham and Sarai had fallen in the trap that so many stumble in today as they misunderstood the meaning of a promise. They interpreted God's promise as a challenge to them rather than as a gift to them. Instead of realizing of them an announcement of what he was going to accomplish without their help, they took it as an assignment that they had to make happen. Listen, guys, when your dad comes to you and when you're a little kid and says, you're going to get a bicycle for Christmas, that is not an announcement that I now have to be good enough to get the bicycle. I'm getting a bike. This is amazing. It's happy dance time. Just in case you didn't realize, the word gospel means good news. News is the announcement of something that has already happened, not something that you must now do. I mean, this is good news. Preach. Where is it over there? Let's hear it. Thank you. It's you, Colazzo. I've always liked you. You have to understand, this wasn't just a misunderstanding. It's a slandering of God's character that I don't really think you're going to perform it, and so now I need to help. So we don't, we don't take it like that. Like, I, I'm just, like no one, I think, with a, with a bad heart is like, God, I'm going to make this promise come true. I don't need your help. I don't believe you. But that's exactly what you're doing. Wow, man, it's taking a while. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Maybe, I, maybe I'm supposed to do this. Maybe I need to run over here, and I'm not really hearing anything. Rest. There's a realm called rest. 
So Abraham, he's approaching his 100th birthday now. Remember, he's 75 when it originally comes to him. 100. How many of you guys are realizing this is a long time? Like this is a couple chapters in the Bible, but this is a quarter of a century. Sarai is nearly 90 when God once more revealed himself. And um, the dialogue begins, uh, God, comes, uh, God comes with two friends. It may be the Trinity actually coming to visit Abram. Remember the situation, and Abraham, he sees what's going on, so he draws out the whole deal. He's like, Sarah, go, uh, go make the bread and put it on low flame. And, uh, and what's he doing? He's, he's enjoying the presence of God. And God comes to him and begins to reveal himself to him, and God gives him a new name. Uh, God reveals himself in a new name, El Shaddai. You know what El Shaddai means? The almighty God who ever manifests himself in the helplessness of his people. Abraham, I'm the almighty God, and I've come to manifest myself in your weakness, in your helplessness. This is a beautiful phrase, guys, guys, helpless dependence. That is the best place you can be in to enter into this realm called rest. So he gives Abram a new name, Abraham. Abram meant exalted father, but Abraham meant father of a multitude. There was a renewal of the covenant. It was sealed with circumcision. Sarai would have her name changed to Sarah, which means a princess. And God went on and said, I will bless her indeed and give you a son by her. Abraham could hardly believe his ears. And so here's Abraham's, uh, our father of faith. remember, Remember, he tried to solve it with this Ishmael thing. And here's his response. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And they're rolling around laughing in the face of God as the father of faith. And interesting. Look, look who God chooses to use. This wasn't like mighty faith. This was him laughing at the impossibility of the situation. And uh, the word of God comes to him kind of firm. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. You know what the name Isaac means? The sound of laughter. I mean, you just got to appreciate the humor of God. Is every time you see this kid of promise, you're going to remember how you looked in the impossibility of the situation and laughed in your own helplessness. And you're going to hear the laugh of God who delights to fulfill his promise in your helplessness. He's laughing. Abraham's laughing at the impossibility. God's laughing that look what I'm about to do. And every time you see this kid, it's like, oh. I, I, that's actually a beautiful picture of how you enter into rest. As you look at this thing and you just laugh at the impossibility. <laughs> there's nothing I can do. When you think there's something you can do, you will try to do it, and that's called works. I'm not saying there won't be work to do. But that only comes from his voice. And when you hear it, you act on it. And then it's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of you trying to help God get the deal done. Guys, that's how you enter into rest. I'm going to give you another picture over here in just a second. You look at the thing and you just laugh at the impossibility of it in your own helpless condition. But you hear God's laugh and his delight over wanting to fulfill the promise through you right in the middle of it. Sarah, she's listening to the conversation behind the door. She doesn't know the divine visitor can hear her. When Sarah hears this, she laughs to herself. And Sarah said, um, behind the curtain, and then uh, the Lord said, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is there anything too difficult from the Lord? Later on, we find out Romans 4 and Hebrews 11, they, they counted this thing as faith. Faith has this element to it where it just laughs at the impossibility of the situation. But it looks past the situation and sees God laughing behind it right back, saying, this is going to be good. It's going to be a good day. 
The Christian life is not a massive effort of self struggling to achieve God's will, but rather the self helplessly resting in his character and faithfulness to all that he has promised. It says, strive to enter that rest. Labor to enter into that rest. Give all, give our all, and be eager to experience the faith rest life. Sometimes the situations are so crushing, I I bet you've been in them, where all you can do is get in the presence of God, and you literally have no words, and all you can do is groan. It's just, oh, God. Mm. And he's so intimate that he knows exactly what you mean by the groan. He hears that groan, and he's like, yeah, I know what you mean. And I'm going to be with you in that situation. I remember uh, I was, uh, my brother-in-law and I, we had a business. And uh, there was just a lot of challenges. And I was just, I was in one of those perfect storms of kind of like being called into, like the exact opposites happening and what the promise was. And, you know, I'm, re- I'm wrestling between like ministry and marketplace and a d- disappointment and faith and just all these things. I'm just feeling torn on the inside. And uh, I remember I got up. And for about three hours, I labored. It was, I don't know, it was like three in the morning. And I, I labored to enter into his rest. I mean, I'm, I'm rolling around the ground. I'm groaning. I wanted to scream. I would just was, just all this stuff was coming out. And uh, until I heard that still small voice, I'll never forget it. And he said, uh, Jim, I want you to go back to the brick building. Mary and I, we called the church the brick building because we believe the church is people. And... Um, Man, it was not on my radar. I'll just be honest with you guys. This was back in uh, spring of 2008, and I was, I was done with church. We hadn't gone in about three years and didn't miss it one bit. I'm just going to be honest with you. And um, I labored entering in that rest, and God spoke that word. And I said, God, I will, I will do this thing. I will go back to vocational ministry, but you've got to speak to my wife because she's double done. She's done with the show. She's done with just, um, just the way we had seen it done. I was just saying we, we weren't responding well to those environments. And labor to enter into that rest. Give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life. And I was finally able to see past my circumstances and see God in that situation. When I got to that place, I heard his voice and everything changed. Rest empowers you to become God conscious. I'm not talking about passivity here. A lot of people talk about spiritual disciplines. This is how I was taught and I believe I was taught wrong. It starts as a duty. And then it becomes a discipline, and eventually it will turn into a delight. Okay, here's where I'm at now. Delight is the discipline. The whole discipline is to stay in delight with the Lord, no matter what the circumstance. So you don't fast to pay a price. I've heard so many people, you you need to pay a price. You need to fast. No, no, Jesus paid a price. You fast so that you can feast on the reality of him. Jesus hadn't eaten, and he's like, hey, I've got food you don't even know about. Fasting is feasting when it's done in the kingdom. Every spiritual discipline is just the discipline of learning how to delight in him from another angle. So sometimes I'm praying, if prayer isn't a delight, you're doing it wrong. If Bible reading does not lead you into an encounter with the author, you're doing it wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm trying to cast a vision here that the discipline is to stay in delight no matter what the circumstance. That's a good word. Colazzo, thank you. So we're going to end with this. Two minutes to 12. Come on. Come on, somebody. Somebody just entered into that realm just now, knowing this. 
You know, I, I, it, it just can't be any more clear. I, I apologize we don't have the verses up here. I emailed it to the wrong address this morning, so my bad. So uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, these are the words of Jesus. I'm going to have you focus on three words here in a second, okay? So let me read it to you, and then I'm going to tell you because I want you to do an activation. I believe this is the simplest, other than laughing at your circumstances, hear God laugh, that's one way to do it. This is the other way to do it, just to enter into that realm called rest. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who, are, uh, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're taking notes, just write down these three words. Come, take, learn. Jesus is like, if you want to enter into rest, come to me. Don't come to all your friends. Um, Here's the danger in charismatic circles, is you're constantly looking for a prophetic word so someone else can hear God for you, so you don't have to. Guess what? You're not going to be able to trust that if that word doesn't confirm what you already heard. I don't know if that person, I might have been off. I thought I was on point, but no, I'm not sure. Prophetic words should always confirm something. If it's not confirmed something, sit it on the shelf and see if it confirms something later. Put it on the shelf. If it turns into wine, it was a good word. If it, turn, if it was bread and it turns moldy, throw it out. How are we doing? Come to Jesus. Don't come to your friends. Don't come to Elijah's list. I'm not against Elijah's list. You come to Jesus. And he says, take my yoke upon you. And uh, he calls it an easy yoke. A yoke was a picture like a, a wooden harness that went over the necks of animals. They put two of, them, two of them together. And he says, take my yoke upon you. You know what makes it an easy yoke? Is he's the one who does all the pulling. How are you going to enter into rest? I come into him, I get into the yoke with Jesus, and I recognize you're going to do the heavy lifting. I'm not sure if you've ever been like around little kids and you know, they're, they're trying to pick something up, and you're like, oh, help me pick something up, help me pick something up. You're doing all the heavy lifting, and they're like, and they act like they're doing something big, and you're, and you're acting like they're doing something big, and they feel really good about it, but they're not actually doing anything. That's called Christianity. <laughs> He's like, um, you lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. What's our part? <laughs> What's his part? Healing. And then we're like, man, that was amazing. I just got used in healing. (laughs) Look what I did. Look what I'm lifting. See, we think that healing's impossible, but we don't realize the entire Christian life's impossible. You're not just supposed to enter into rest at the impossible things. He's inviting you into this realm 24-7. Are you seriously? Yes. That was a song that my friend Josh wrote. 30 years ago, and he did not think I remembered it. So, sorry. That was just fun for me. You're just all here for the ride, so. (laughs) Come to Jesus. Take my yoke upon me, and then learn from me. What am I learning? Jesus, who do you want to be for me right now? I think you need some peace. All right. The Lord is my peace. I'm not trying to get peace from my circumstances. I'm getting peace. I'm surrendering to it, and now I'm experiencing it. And then in a little, and as I keep doing that, I actually get to be that. So it becomes my very character as his character. I'm talking about entering into a realm, and it's going to take some practice. It's going to, it's going to be like training with a sword to chase away those things. But when you're feeling those negative circumstances come, and the emotions begin to swirl, that's your clue to say, okay, God, I'm out of rest right now. There's a disturbance in the force, right? 
if you picture your soul like still waters, when there's ripples in it, that's when you're like, okay, hold on. I need, I need to get back in a rest. I need to look past my circumstance. I need to laugh at this is impossible. Oh, my gosh. Oh, God, you delight in showing yourself in these circumstances. I'm coming to you. I'm not coming to anyone else. I'm coming to you. I'm taking that yoke. Jesus, you're going to do the heavy lifting. The Lord is my. And I step out. And I don't feel strong in the moment, but there's a, there's a joining where when I stretch out my hand, those waters part. When I speak, those waves still because I'm entered into a different realm. Amen? So here's what I want to do. I want you guys to, I want you to just take a moment and I want you to come to Jesus. Whatever situation you might need, he'll tell you if you can't figure it out. And uh, I want you to consciously take his yoke upon you in that situation and learn from him. Is there anything you want me to, anything, who do you want to be for me in the situation? Let's just take about 60 seconds and we'll close it out in prayer. Some of you, I can just feel like anxiety on you. And so let's just have everyone do this so nobody's singled out. Uh, on the count of three, I want you to just take a big, fresh air of grace. Okay? One, two, three. Lord, we just breathe you into our circumstances. We invite you in. Lord, we are coming to you right now with this mess. And uh, we just look at that problem, we just laugh. There is nothing we can do in our own strength. But we hear the laugh of the Father saying, oh, man, I got something planned. Oh, man. If you could see what's on the other side of this. And so, Lord, we, uh, we come to you. We take that yoke upon you, upon ourselves. And we say, God, you're the one who's going to do the heavy lifting. We're not going to try to create an Ishmael. We're not going to try to help you create this promise. But, Lord, when you speak, we'll move but we're not going to get into the flesh. We're not going to get into our own strength. And so just ask this question, Holy Spirit, who do you want to be for me right now? Thank you, Lord. Someone's getting touched over there, someone very young. It's good. Start them young, Daddy. All right. Here's what I want to do. If you guys could stand up and just get in groups of two or three, and you know somebody who's sick or who's in the hospital, we're going to pray for them right now. Just in your group, somebody maybe who's just had surgery, somebody's got out of the hospital. We're just, I don't know if God's just highlighting it more, if it's just happening more, but we're, God is going to give us a wave of healing this fall. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the fall. The kids are in school, it's the fall, okay? And if, if we're believing God for too much early, then he will deal with us when we get to heaven, okay? So groups two, three, four at the max, and just, if you know somebody who is in the hospital, just got out, somebody who needs it, somebody at work, whatever it is, um, just... 
in the name of Jesus, command that healing over their body. I'll close this out, then we'll go to the picnic, all right? So just take, take 60, one to two minutes. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, I just thank you that this week people will strive to enter into that rest, God. They will do whatever it takes to not allow in the negative, but to allow in your voice. Lord, that they will come take and learn. Lord, they will laugh at the circumstance and hear your laugh over them. So, Lord, we love you. Lord, I just thank you for breakthrough and healing in each one of these prayer requests. Lord, for these impossible situations where the person's body may be wasting away, they may be addicted out of their mind. Lord, I just thank you for breakthrough in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Lord, bless our picnic and keep the bakers from sunburn. Amen. Um, Our our ministry teams are coming forward. They'll be the ones with tags on. Feel free to continue praying if you